Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another live, not a post-game live necessarily, but a live here on Dime Dropper. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Dime Dropper. I don't think it's podcast anymore. I think it's just Dime Dropper. And yeah, let's get to it. Clippers and Spurs, Lakers and Jazz, and Kawhi is out again. So let's get it. Clippers and Spurs. Clippers looking for their third win in a row on Friday night. Still no Kawhi. We knew he was going to miss this game. Robert Covington still out with health and safety protocols. And again, very similar to the Houston game. It was almost like a carbon copy. Clippers came out with good defensive intensity. Everybody switching except for Zoo and drop coverage. And it was it was a good start. You know, Reggie Jackson had seven points early in the game, one on a take to the basket, the next on a catch-and-shoot three from Paul George, who caught the ball at the elbow, which I obviously have been saying is just so much better when he catches the ball there. And he got, because he gets double teams. He really gets double teams, and he found Reggie for an open three. Next time down, he scored in a fast break, had seven points in the first quarter. Problem is, he only had two points in the second and third quarter, so... I was hoping it would be a maybe a big-time Reggie game, but it was only a decent Reggie game, a pretty good one compared to his rest of the season. But mainly Paul George. Every single game that the Clippers play without Kawhi Leonard, which is a lot of them, when Paul George is the best player on the court, and in a lot of these games he's supposed to be, including against the San Antonio team, who is going full-on, you thought full-on tank mode, but they've started the season impressively. I've actually watched two of their games, one against Philly and then one against Minnesota, and they won them both. I mean, it's crazy. Even with this ragtag bunch of young players, Devin Vassell, who was looking like Kobe Bryant out there against us, and Keldon Johnson, they still move the ball, still play the right way like the Spurs of old. I mean, they turn the ball over a lot, but they really move the ball. Well, okay, Spurs of old is a little bit much, but they still move the ball. They still play an unselfish brand of basketball, and you never – are going to get an easy, easy win against them, really. But they started out with some with some uh, spunk here, the Spurs. and But the first quarter, the Clippers didn't let them show anything, which I love because the Clippers have had some bad first quarters in these losses. And for them to come out and stamp their authority a little bit, Paul George had seven points, you know, getting to the basket a lot more in this game. The Clippers went on a 23-2 run from the nine-minute mark to the four-minute mark in the first quarter. Marcus Morris Sr. hit a couple jumpers, too, and it just started the defense. And Ivica Zubats, again, anchoring the defense all night long, just blocking shots. He had three blocks in the first quarter, and his timing and positional awareness in drop coverage has gotten so much better. The way he stunts at the guard and then recovers to the big after they pass, it's Anthony Davis-esque at times this season. 
and he had two buckets as well in that first quarter. Second quarter, though, again, you already know what it's going to be. When Zubats comes out of the game, how do the Clippers handle it? Where do they go with the small ball lineup? They took my advice that I said on Locked On, and I said on this ep- on this podcast, I like it when it's John Wall and Norman Powell should be the only two guys that are 6'4 or under out there in the backcourt when Ivica Zubats is out of the game. And they did that alongside Nico Batum and Paul George, I believe. Uh, Amir Coffey played a little bit in this game. Terrence Mann played very little. He had... He shot three open threes all in the second quarter, missed them all, and had an offensive foul and was taken out of the game and didn't play for the rest of it, which, I mean, some people might say, yeah, team, t- get T-Man out of the game. He sucks. I'm a, just such a big Terrence Mann fan. I think that he does so many good things in the basketball court for the Clips, and I think that seeing him get three minutes is kind of tough, but the Clippers won the game. We won the game, so it doesn't really matter. However, I just hope that he can get his confidence back soon shooting the ball. America, although he's been efficient this season, he just hasn't gotten many looks. He hasn't really gotten that many consistent minutes to find any kind of rhythm. Amir Coffey played 12 minutes and had six points. He was okay. You know what's interesting? We didn't go to Moses Brown. After his great game against Houston, we didn't go to Moses Brown as a backup center, which I thought was pretty surprising. The Spurs brought Zach Collins in off the bench as their backup center, and he kind of drifts at the three-point line a lot. But immediately when he came in the game, he went right at Nicholas Batum, and got right to the rim on him. So I was really getting worried that like, uh-oh, you know, Clippers are about to get exposed on the inside again. But the guy that was really exposing the Clippers, or should I just say showing how good he was, was Devin Vassell. My goodness, third-year player. This guy was hitting such tough shots. His first one, I don't know if it was his first one, but one of his first ones was a shimmy shake turnaround over the right shoulder against Terrence Mann with Terrence draped all over him. And he was just making plays in the pick and roll, knocking down threes, knocking down step backs and drop coverage, going one-on-one on guys. He was playing phenomenally, phenomenally. And, you know, Clippers led by 10 after one, 28 to 18. But the second unit, you know, John Wall, Norman Powell, Nico, Terrence Mann, Amir Coffey. And then it, it, it was looking so dangerous that Ty Lue subbed Zubats in at the 10-minute mark of the second quarter. And the Spurs had already kind of found a rhythm. And, you know, John Wall didn't have a very good first half. They went under the screen twice, and he missed two mid-ranges that he's just got to make. He's got to make them pay for that. I said before the season when we got him, too, they're going to go under the screen on him, forcing him to make that mid-range. And also, he got beat backdoor twice in the second quarter. I thought our defense kind of ended up snoozing a bit. And we went through those scoring droughts or had a tough time scoring. The defense just suffered as a result. And, you know, it's a momentum game. San Antonio cut it down and ended up taking the lead going in to the second half. The Clippers went cold. You know, Paul George still hit a couple shots when he came back in. But as I said, Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson just ended up going cold for the second and third quarters. And that was, it was hard to score when Paul George is the only one really getting buckets. Uh, I thought Ivica Zubac was still doing his thing. But, you know, Nico Batum didn't have a great first half either outside of a couple of deflections. Third quarter, we split even with the Spurs. By the way, this outscored us 40-26 to 26 in the second quarter. Third quarter, they broke even at 28. And, you know, well, the Clippers actually took some momentum going into, the, going into the fourth because the Spurs went up by 10. You know, the Clippers were up by 17 in the first half, in the first quarter, 25-8. to eight, But the Spurs took a 10-point lead in the second half. I believe it was 71-61. And then Paul George was the star that, he, you know, he, that he is. Started to settle the Clips down, make some tough shots. Get to the basket. You know, he didn't go to the mid post or the elbow as much as I'd like, but he still was able to get by guys and put on some rim pressure, make some good passes, and he had 15 points in the third quarter to make up for other guys not doing their thing. 
And one thing I didn't like, though, by the way, Luke Kennard, after making the first shot of the game, he went out of the game with a ch with chest pains, and he's not going to play tomorrow night against Utah. And I'll be at that game, so you're going to get vlog number three. The last one was electric. So you haven't checked that one out with Paul George's game winner. Please check it out on the YouTube channel. But I'll be giving you a nice vlog there. That's going to be awesome. And Luke Kennard won't be playing, though, and neither will Kawhi, and I'll get to that later. But Paul George had 15 points in the third quarter, and because Luke Kennard was out of the game, you know, I thought Norman Powell would get more minutes, and considering he was actually playing pretty well, I mean, Norman, 13 points and 7 rebounds and only 1 turnover. Even though the Clippers turned the ball over 16 times, mind you, 5 of those came from Paul George. Norman Powell wasn't a big part of that. He only had 1, and he was 5 for 8 from the field and 2 for 3 from deep. So Norman Powell is doing a much better job of getting to the rim and knocking down shots, and he seemed to find more offensive confidence coming off the bench. But he only played 23 minutes, and Reggie Jackson played 37. I was getting really scared in that early fourth quarter period, late third quarter, when Ty Lue was keeping Reggie Jackson out there for so long and alongside John Wall. I really don't like the combination of Reggie and John Wall, especially when Zoo's out of the game. And, you know, it wasn't really working. I mean, Devin Vassell was getting whatever he wanted, and when Zach Collins had Reggie Jackson switched on him, because when the Clippers go small, they switch everything. When Zach Collins had Reggie Jackson on him, it forced the Clippers to double, and he had to overcompensate as a result. And the Spurs were getting good looks. You know, Keldon Johnson, he didn't have a great shooting night, which was a good thing for the Clippers, even though he started out with a couple of buckets. He was 7 for 19 in the game and 2 for 9 from 3. So we only held him to we held him to only 16 points, which is good. But Vassell was hitting everything right, and he had missed four games before this, so he was on a minutes restriction. And you know, Jim Jackson loved the guy in commentary, and he made it. You know, he said that the Clippers last seven minutes of the game locked down defensively. Yes, we did, but it was mainly because Devin Vassell was on a minutes restriction, and he came out of the game when they were up three. They were up 94-91, and I will say this: John Wall in the fourth quarter really took over. He got to the basket at will. He added pace to the Clippers game, and he just is so strong getting to the basket. He bullies guys when he's at the rim, and he's a great finisher. And it was interesting because he actually did not shoot more than two free throws in this game, but he was making plays, drawing a secondary defender at the rim. And one thing I think he does such a great job of is he rejects the screen so well. He'll look like he's going to, going to his left, or I'm sorry, going to his right, and then he'll cross over to his left, away from the screen, and get right to the rim. He was doing a great job and got the Clippers within one. And then the play that tied the game, we saw this action over and over again. When Vassell came out of the game, the defense just got easier. But Paul George and John Wall were playing in the pick and roll themselves with John Wall as the screener. And I really like this action because Paul George was already garnering two defenders and they weren't just going to switch everybody on him because he was showing such great offensive prowess. And when you throw two guys on a 6'9 Paul George, he can pass over the top. And John Wall got into a four-on-three situation Pass it to Reggie Jackson for a huge corner three to tie the game at 96. Then they ran it again, and Zubats got a lob on a no-look from John Ball in the exact same four-on-three position. It was beautiful. Absolutely loved every second of it. And I also thought Nico Batum in the second half did a better job defending. And, you know, Nico has those occasional steals in the backcourt when the other team is just lazy on their inbounds passes and stuff like that. He'll cause turnovers. Did a couple of those, or at least one of those. He had three points, four rebounds, and two assists in 20 minutes of play. Norman Powell, you know... Even though the Clippers got the job done and Reggie Jackson did have a decent game. 5 for 11 from the field in 37 minutes. 2 for 4 from deep though. So great to see him be efficient. 14 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, um, and only 2 turnovers. So that's an okay number for him. I like it when he's off the ball more and he's starting to be 
But I still think that Ty persists with him too long. He should be getting like 27 or 30 minutes. And you know, you can say, oh, John Wall still had a minutes restriction. Well, actually, this was the first game of the season where John, got, John Wall got over 25 minutes, and we needed it. 27 minutes for John, 15 points, 3 rebounds, 6 assists, no turnovers, 6 for 14 from the field. The only thing I have a problem with is he still shoots too many threes for me. He's not shooting well from three, and he shot six of them. And he made two of them. I just don't think we need him, even though one of them was big. And I think the one of them that he made was a good shot. He's shooting 25% from deep. Just don't need it. And he's shooting 45% overall. So you got to think what his overall, what his two-point percentage is. It's probably really good. So I just think he needs to cut down on the threes a little bit. But in the fourth quarter, Clippers just took over, locked down defensively. Ivica Zubats was insane again. You know, finishing around the rim, rolling nicely in the pick and roll. Had a monster dunk from a Paul George pocket pass late in that fourth quarter. And Marcus Morris Sr. put the cherry on top of the Sunday for the second consecutive game with a late three. That put the Clippers up by five, and they rode it home. 113 to 106, the Clippers win it. That's three straight, and it's because of guys like Ivica Zubac, who's been the Clippers' best player this season, no doubt about it. 17 points, 15 rebounds, four blocks in 36 minutes, and eight for 10 from the field. And that man has played every fucking game, and... He leads the league in blocks, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Ivica Zubac, the guy that everybody just hates on because he's a slower white center, is leading the league in blocks with 2.8. Stop talking shit about Big Zoo. He's making you look the foo. Okay? Big Zoo doing his thing this season. And then Marcus Morris, you know, he missed. He was 2 for 9 at one point. But then went 2 for 3 to close the game. Had 11 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists. And his defense was so much just keeps playing really solid defense. He had a great steal rotating on the pick and roll right before Vassell came out of the game. You know, the Clippers were in drop coverage, and the roller was open for a second, and Marcus Morris came over from the weak side and tipped the ball on the baseline and saved it. Great steal, great recognition by Mook. 11 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 for 12 from the field. So a rare, inefficient game from Mook this season, or Mook this season. Three for six from deep, though. And the Clippers finally, finally, finally shot over 41% from three. Hallelujah. 45.5% from three in this game for the Clips. 15 for 33. We'll take that all day long. And a main man, Paul George. 11 for 16 from the field. Needs to be shooting 20 shots, but we'll take it. In 38 minutes, 32 points, six assists, only two rebounds. Five turnovers, got to do without that. But four for six from deep, six for seven from the line. It's just a three straight great games from Paul. He also had the highest plus minus of any Clipper with plus 16. So big time win for the Clips. We got Utah next. We'll be talking about that in a second. But also the Lakers played against the Utah Jazz. I would love to call them the Utah Trash, but they haven't been playing trash so far this year, and they wouldn't be playing trash in this game. You know, the Lakers going into this game had the second-best defense in the entire league, but you did not, you could not tell had you watched them for the first time this season. They allowed 40 points in the first quarter, and you know one thing Utah's going to do, and I've watched them play against the New Orleans Pelicans. I watched their game against the Nuggets, and I also watched their game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And Lowry Markkinen is playing the best basketball of his entire life right now. He is playing at an all-star level. Yes, I said an all-star level. He has. He's averaging 22 points a game and nine rebounds. He's playing good defense, and the Jazz are 7-3. and 7-3! and three. I mean, are you kidding me? So, and he would do it again in this game. And I noticed in the beginning, you know, again, Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, 
Lakers' attention to detail in the first quarter defensively was really poor compared to what we've seen so far this year. Just guys getting blown by a little easily, rotations not being there. And I got to say, it, it, there was one guy in particular that stood out like a sore thumb in this game on defense, LeBron James. Getting lost off the ball. Laurie Markkinen right away when he was 8-8. Eight to eight, Just cut flash to the middle. Got an, basically a dunk. I think it was a dunk or a layup right at the rim. LeBron snoozing. And slowly the Jazz started to make some threes. And they've been shooting a lot of threes this season and making a lot of threes this season. In this game, they would go 17 for 40. 42.5% from deep. And it was one of Stu Lance's keys before the game. Stu Lance being the color commentator for the Lakers. Long time. One of my favorites. Saying they contain the three. And how you contain the three is dribble penetration. And I just, I don't I don't know why they went away from the Anthony Davis drop coverage in the second half. But I guess maybe I wasn't paying enough attention in the first quarter because they were pouring it on. And maybe they went away from that and started switching more. But Anthony Davis and drop coverage have been amazing this season. And Anthony Davis was awesome offensively in this first half I mean he was everywhere finishing around the basket you know he got three offensive rebounds and another guy who was really great again Russell Westbrook came in at the seven minute mark made his first five shots was just playing defense pushing the pace and one thing about this Laker team they've really been playing fast maybe a little too fast but one thing that I know that Darvin Ham clearly is trying to make an emphasis is turning defense into offense and getting steals, getting stops, and having LeBron as the trigger man to get the younger players. Because if you look at their squad, it's, yes, you got the three older guys. I mean, AD is not really old, but Westbrook and LeBron. But then you have younger players across the board. You've got Lonnie Walker. You've got Austin Reeves. You've got Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't really been playing. You've got, you know, Matt Ryan. Ella Patrick Beverly is not young. But you've got some athletes in there. It's mainly Austin Reeves. You know, Russell Westbrook still likes to push pace. But Austin Reeves, Troy Brown Jr., um, one of my, by the way, uh, Will Johnson, my good friend, he was the first guest for Dime Dropper featuring. He played with Troy Brown for a year at Oregon. So, you know, and he's my age. So that tells you how old Troy is. He's only like a year older than me. So he's young. You know, Wenyan Gabriel played 11 minutes, but he's a more, you know, younger guy. Juan Toscano Anderson is back 15 minutes. So the Lakers do have a lot of young, now younger players, a good amount of them around LeBron and Anthony Davis, and they try to push the pace. But at times they can rush a little bit. I still don't think it was a bad thing. I think it all stems from their defense going into offense. But, yeah. And in the second quarter, they allowed 35 points. And a guy that was burning them, two guys in particular, actually, Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson. Colin Sexton, I'm shocked that he's coming off the bench for this Jazz team. And they're still starting Mike Conley. I thought they would go all in on Sexton. And you know, there's been some games this season where he barely has played. Where he's played under 20 minutes. Which is so interesting to me. But the last couple of games, he started to come alive. And when he has been in, he's still been aggressive. And in this game, he was aggressive. Got by LeBron for his first bucket easily. Hit two contested threes. Although they weren't that well contested by Matt Ryan. And he just found a rhythm. Had 14 points in the first half. And really made a difference. And then Jordan Clarkson, when he starts to get going, you already know how it is. Gets in the gets in the mid-range area, can get to the basket, hits threes. There was this one play where he was on, in transition, pulled it back behind his back, hit a three, put the Jazz up 10. And I thought Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis were good in the first half. Troy Brown, uh, taking some questionable shots, in my opinion. It's threes that weren't wide open. And you know what I will say about the Jazz? I mean, Lowry and Kelly Olynyk, they're playing really hard. Jared Vanderbilt, you know he's going to play hard. It's funny because Patrick Beverly, honestly, would have been a perfect fit for this ragtag Jazz team. 
You know, it's they're playing Colin Sexton off the bench. Malik Beasley got 15 minutes. Taylor Horton Tucker obviously made his return to Staples Center. Uh, played 16 minutes, had seven points on three for seven shooting. Was fairly quiet. It was a plus 10 though when he was in the game. And then Rudy Gay played 10 minutes, so that's a nine-man rotation. And then the 10th man, they actually went 11 deep, but the 10th man really has impressed me in multiple games I've watched this season, and that's Walker Kessler, this tall 7-1 white guy out of Auburn. He was the 22nd pick in this year's draft from Memphis and was traded in the Pat Bev deal. He is... A very good rim protector and defender from what I've seen so far this season. Very good. He's more athletic than he looks, and he had eight points and four rebounds and two blocks in 11 minutes. Four or five shooting. He's been impressive, guys. Keep your eye on him tomorrow, Clipper fans. He may annoy us. But the Jazz took a 75-62 lead into the half. Yes, 75 points in the first half, which is so weird for this Laker team who's been so sharp defensively. Just they weren't focused as much. They were a little out of sync. You know, Lonnie Walker had some miscommunications on defense and screen and roll. LeBron was, you know, just poor defensively overall in every single way. And Anthony Davis didn't seem like he was as involved defensively in that first half. And the Jazz were just knocking down shots from the outside and just opening the Lakers up. And... The one takeaway, though, from that first half was LeBron. was not playing well in any way. He was really, in the first quarter, like really playing as an off-ball player, kind of the way I said he should have played last season. And he was just missing. You know, it's hard to get in a rhythm that way, I understand, but he was missing, and he's just not getting to the rim the same way. You know, when the Jazz were switching Laurie Markkinen onto him, there was one time in the first half he tried to drive. Clearly, Laurie Markkinen hand-checked him, and it was a bump, and he didn't get the call, which LeBron has got a bad whistle the last two years. But after that, he just never tried it again, really. He just started posting up and not really going fast. And, you know, one thing I hate about LeBron and AD watching them is they take so long. They wait for the double team instead of going quickly before the double comes against certain guys. Like LeBron had Colin Sexton on him one time in the second half. And he's just, instead of going quick baseline or just quick middle, waiting, waiting for them to load up. He still get a good shot. It's just slow. I feel like he could put more pressure on people. But again, is he not 100%? He said he was really sick the other day. And he's just older. And I think LeBron, you're really starting to see that slow, I could be wrong, but the slowly but surely, he's just deteriorating. Or I wouldn't say deteriorating, but declining. And in the second half, you know, the Lakers had a good third quarter, though. 33-25, they outscored the Jazz. And it's because they tightened up the defense. They created some steals. Austin Reeves, Russell, it really was when Russell Westbrook came back in. They were actually down by 16 points. But Russell Westbrook came in and just did his thing. There was a couple times where he was like bully-balling certain guards like he used to, just in the post. He was just, again, he was also hitting threes. I think, though, after he made his first three, those next two were a little bit of a force. But, hey, he was three for five from three. The percentages say that's great. And he was nine for 14 from the floor, 26 points, three rebounds, six assists. He did have four turnovers, but that's a really good Russ game. And his plus-minus was minus one. Only person in the plus category for the Lakers, Patrick Beverly. Five points. He actually made both of his shots. He finally made a three. And he had 28 minutes, but the Lakers didn't really generate many good looks for Bev. You know, and again, he just really hasn't had a great game for the Lakers yet at all. I want to see what he's averaging because I want to get a good laugh right now, honestly. 4.6 points. Talk about a triple single. He's not even averaging five points a game. I mean, if you round up, he is. 
but that's pretty funny. But the third quarter, I thought Lonnie Walker was a big difference maker. I thought he was starting to get over screens better. And the Lakers were switching everything and getting some stops, but there were still some matchups I didn't really like. But they were getting out and running, and the Staples Center was getting really loud at the end of that third quarter. Laker fans have brought it this season, these last couple of games. And they went into the fourth quarter. It was 100-95. to LeBron still couldn't get going, though. And as most games this season have gone, Anthony Davis kind of drifted away in the fourth quarter. And I want to see how many shots he took. One shot. My God. Just not acceptable. One shot when he had 22 points going into it. LeBron is having a terrible game shooting the ball. He wasn't making really his layups. He had 17 points, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists, 3 turnovers. You know what's funny is that stat line still looks good. The one thing I'll say he was doing was rebounding, but LeBron went 0 for 7 from 3 in the game against, I believe it was New Orleans. He was 0 for 5 from 3 against the Jazz. So that's, he's 0 for 12 in his last two games from deep. He was 7 for 19. Not a great night for LeBron. I thought Troy Brown Jr., I don't think he had a very good game either. He played 22 minutes, wasn't great on defense. He got blown by a couple times. He took a couple of ill-advised shots when he had more time on the shot clock to pass the ball. 12 points for him, 4 for 10 from the field. The Lakers just couldn't get stops. And you know a guy that really sealed the game was Mike Conley. You know, the Lakers really got within striking distance. It was like an eight-point game with like five minutes left. And Mike Conley made an insane contested three to beat the shot clock buzzer. Then he made an and-one floater. Just had eight points in the fourth to really break the Lakers' backs. And the Jazz coming to Stable Center with another win. 30-21 to in the fourth quarter. They outscored the Lakers. They won it 130-116. to So for the Lakers, who have prided themselves on their defense so far this season, this was a far cry from that. And you know what the crazy part is for the Lakers? They shot 42% from three. They finally had a great shooting game from deep, but it was ruined by a poor LeBron performance and an inability to defend in this game. And one thing about the Jazz, they shot 20 more shots than the Lakers, 103 to 83. That is going to do you in. And a big reason for that, 15 offensive rebounds to the Lakers, 9. And there you go. The Utah Jazz go to 7-3. and three. Unbelievable. Uh, whose stat line did I not read? Anthony Davis, 22 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 blocks. The funny part is he had 17 points in the first half. So to have only 5 in the second half when you're clearly the best player on this team so far this season is just not acceptable. Lonnie Walker, though, I thought he had a solid game again. 19 points, 6 for 12 from the field, 2 for 3 from deep, and he made all his free throws, 5 for 5, but he needed to be more engaged defensively for 4 quarters. That's my only criticism for him. Toscano Anderson, 2 points on free throws. Wenyan Gabriel, 5 points. Matt Ryan, 3 points. Westbrook, 26. Austin Reeves, 5. And he made a couple of questionable decisions for him, especially. There was one where the momentum was just going crazy for the Lakers. It was really loud in the building, and Austin Reeves just kind of did a little too much and lost it. There was another time where LeBron got loaded up on, made a nice cross-court swing, and Austin Reeves took a dribble instead of an immediate swing to Lonnie Walker, and he missed an opportunity for an open three there, and LeBron was chewing him out for it. But let's see the comments right now. Someone's asking me, are the KD Kyrie Nets one of, if not the most disappointing team in history? I mean, right now they're right in there, most disappointing teams in history. Um, absolutely. Terminator92 says, I mean, Jamal Murray and Klay Thompson both suffered the same injury as Kawhi and they came back fine. So, yeah, let's get into that, right? I'm really getting annoyed with this, man. I'm really getting annoyed. Like, they're saying Kawhi's going to be out for his seventh straight game. We still don't know what the fuck's going on. Knee management. You're going to keep going with load management? He's clearly hurt. And again, you want to keep doing this. You did this in the conference finals. You did it last season, not ruling out, ruling him out for the rest of the season. It's unfair to the fans. And by the way, I've been told by certain people that 
the ambassadors, the way I was going to a lot of games last season was obviously I was paying for cheap tickets, but the ones that I didn't pay for and I was getting free tickets, ambassadors were getting free tickets because they had shown so much love for the team or whatever in section 207, which is the fans, Clipper fans only section. It's kind of like an ultras right behind DJ Dents. And they stopped giving them out because they think, well, they can sell those tickets now because Kawhi is going to play. Well, he's not playing. And we're not finding out what's going on. And tomorrow I'm going to the game for an insanely good price, so it's not really affecting the pockets that much. But it's not fair to the fans. It's not fair for our expectations for the season. And my God, this guy had a whole year off. Like, said he feels good. Everybody's like, oh, he looks like Kawhi, better than Kawhi Leonard of before. He may be even better now. He's com- And then we heard he was coming off the bench. And he's on a minutes restriction more severe than what I expected. Like... It's as restricted as it gets. He plays two games and he's been out for seven. I mean, come on. Dude, I have China in the kitchen right now that's more sturdy than this guy. What's going on here? It's not his fault. I mean, it's just like, well, I mean, the only thing you can say is part of being a professional and part of being a superstar is you got to be available. You know what I'm saying? When we have these all-time conversations and Kawhi absolutely belongs in those because he, at his pr- in his prime, like, when he plays, he's fantastic. But when we talk about relative to guys like John Havlicek, who played 16 fucking seasons in the 60s with a third, a tenth of the medical st- uh, technology and the uh, personnel on each team that we have now. We had, one tr- we had one team trainer back then, an assistant coach and a coach. That's it. You know what I'm saying? And this guy played 16 seasons. Go look at John Havlicek's games played and then look at the minutes that he played. Deep into May and June. It's not human in that pace. It's not human. So, um, I mean, Havlicek's one of the best ever, so it's very harsh to Kawhi to even go there. Go there. But the thing is, when Kawhi Leonard plays, he probably is better than John in his prime. Probably. Maybe. It's tough. If you really know how good Havlicek is, it's tough. Obviously, by the eye test, Kawhi does look better. And I think Kawhi Leonard is better. At his, like, the Toronto Kawhi, I don't think Gondo ever reached that. When we talk about all-time status, there's no way you could ever put Kawhi over somebody like that who is so available all the time. And won. You know what I'm saying? If you want your argument is over a durable guy that he won and the other guy didn't, understandable. But, yeah. I don't think John was ever an elite three-point shooter, says Kyle's takes. Well, he's not. Uh, but yeah, I'm pissed about the Kawhi thing. Like, it's going to totally affect our season. And at this point, I've already given up on the 60-win thing, even though five down, how many to go? Five down, 55 to go. But it's really five down, 47 to go. But at the end of the day, it's really, if we don't have Kawhi, it doesn't really matter what how many games we win or lose in the regular season. 